Hey, this is the Kincaid and Breckenridge Highlight Show. We had an awesome show today. You should have heard the whole thing. But in this uh, hour that we're giving you encapsulated here, we talked about this idea of giving kids a fake report card to hide their real grades from them so you wouldn't hurt their self-esteem. And you had a lot to say about that. And hey, remember uh, Canada-Soviet Union 1972 Summit Series? Well, maybe not all of us do because a lot of uh, Canadians weren't alive in 1972, but we all know about it. We all know about the impact it had on this country. We had the opportunity to speak today with one of the members of that team, Pat Stapleton, talk about this big tour they're doing, uh, the team getting back together later this year. You can listen to Kincaid and Breckenridge weekdays, uh, 930 to 1230, right here on News Talk 770. Breckenridge on News Talk 770. You're listening to the only radio program in the city of Calgary hosted by two straight C-plus students. <laughs> or at least one. I you are going to say the only radio program in the city of Calgary. And then I thought that was going to be the end of the sentence. I was going to like, wow, did I miss something? <laughs> but okay, now I, I see where, where you're going with that. My uh, teacher in grade five, Madame Tardif Maisonneuve, said to me, you get a lot of C-pluses. I said, it's my favorite drink. Uh, there you go. That's what I go for. I had the same teacher for grade five and grade six, Mr. Monroe. He was kind of old school. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I don't think he liked me very much. I had a, I kind of liked him. He was, you know, he was all right. He was a little curmudgeonly, but oh, I had, a, like he had a good side to him. Mr. Gibson in grade uh, grade eight. Loved that guy. Taught, taught so many great memories. And I guarantee you, by the way, that anyone who went to St. Stephen and had Mr. Gibson for homeroom or, or grade eight social studies is like nodding along. Yep, that guy was tough. Firm but fair as it was. And I never forget the day I impressed him by reading a race program. He was like going through the race program at his desk when we were all supposed to be doing homework. And I said, I bet I could read that. He said, I bet you can't. It was fun. Anyway, yeah. enough of me. Um, I actually did really well in that guy's class because I thought it was really interesting. I was terrible at uh, language arts, science. I was really good at math. And I'd get these report cards and I'd bring these report cards home, and then I would have to explain to my mom and dad why I got really bad grades in certain classes because I'm bored out of my mind, and I get really good grades in these other classes because I find them interesting. And my stance was always, why can't I just take more of those classes and yeah. fewer of these classes? See, we are getting into a conversation about report cards in case people are wondering where we're going with all of this. <laughs> I do remember, it was I think it was grade 7 or grade 8, and you had to take options, and I just took typing, and I really hated typing. And actually, today I'm 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 not a bad typer. I can type rather quickly, but I would just I would just bang away on the keys. I really didn't care at all about the class. I think in one of my report cards, my mark in typing was actually like 16 percent. Wow! <laughs> my parents were like, "What is this?" I'm like, I don't know. It's just I don't Did like. You tell it. them it was a typo. <laughs> it's <a> typo. <laughs> Well, look, there's a school, uh, a yeshiva, so it's a boys' school, Jewish school in the New York area that has sent a note home with the report cards to that the, they sent home with the kids. Now, um, I, I don't know why the age-old practice of sending the report card home with the kids is still happening when you can just email a spreadsheet of your son or daughter's grades or something to keep them from seeing it, if that's important. But anyway, it's a sealed envelope in this case, so the kids don't get to browse their grades on the school bus on the way home unless they're willing to you know, break federal law and open someone else's mail. But in that report card is tucked a note that says, Hey, Mom and Dad. Uh, these are your son's grades. You might be of the opinion, uh, as we are, that sharing these grades with your kid might be detrimental to them. It might cause them some grief, some stress, blah, blah, blah. 
So if you'd like a doctored report card that has really sunny, happy grades to show them so that you don't harm their self-esteem, let us know. We'll, we'll print one up for you. And that way you can have a happy child who thinks he's doing pretty well, but you'll know the truth and you can encourage him to get better grades in other ways. <laughs> yeah, that, that is interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, I can see some side of it, right? Because I, I you know, maybe kids don't understand all the nuances of, of why that grade came in a certain way or, you know, what the comments mean. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I could see the idea that, okay, you know, if a kid sees a, a report card and can get discouraged by certain things and just kind of say, well, I thought I was trying hard and what has that got me and forget it doesn't really matter and I'm just going to stop trying. Okay, that's that's conceivable. I could see it. But, you know, at the same time, I think, you know, you got to have honest conversations with your kids and say, look, you know, I, I appreciate that you're trying. Uh, you know, here's one of these areas where, you know, maybe there, there could be a little more effort or, you know, if you are trying, then let's figure out why that effort's not translating into marks and, and to be able to, to work with your kid. Because if your kid is getting a bad grade, I, I, I find it hard to envision a scenario where your kid's getting bad grades, but yet in your kid's head, your kid thinks, I'm acing this stuff. This is great. <laughs> I'm, I'm kicking butt and uh, I love it. I, I think the kid would know. The kid knows. The kid's having difficulty understanding what's going on. The kid's getting frustrated. The kid can't wrap his or her head around the concept. I think the kids know. I think in a lot of cases, I don't think you're fooling the kids. If you're a kid and you go every day and you, you dread math because you can't make heads or tails of these numbers, and then you look at the report card and you're straight A's, I don't know. Are kids that gullible? <laughs> I don't believe so. So we want to hear from you on this matter, Nine seven four eight two five five. Would you consider giving your kid a fake report card so that they would feel better about themselves going to school. I mean, would you basically want to, uh, I don't know, what are you, rewiring their their ple- uh, pleasant disposition here? Giving them like a sunnier perspective on the arduous task of rolling uh, into school every morning at 8 a.m. or whatever it is now? You know, and I think the thing is, I think we already have watered down report cards enough as it is, almost for that reason, right? We can't fail kids, for one thing, right? because that's not good for their self-esteem. Uh, we seem to be moving away. This keeps get, getting pushed higher and higher in the grades where you actually you know, get the A, B, C, and D, or you actually get percentage marks that we keep expanding it where we give kids like, uh, I'm trying to think what it is on my kid's elementary report card. You basically got like the four categories where you're mastering, where you're advanced, well, you're, wow, really? This is uh, what's going on now? There's no more? Oh, yeah, they got away from A, B, C, D, and F, didn't they? So yeah, this is for grade four. My kid's in grade four. So yeah, it's a mastered, advanced. It's not satisfactory, but it's basically, you know, he's doing okay. Mm-hmm. And then there's sort of two more after that. So uh-huh. there's either four or five of these categories. And then there's just a bunch of, you know, baffle gab. Like, th- this is a school that emphasizes the, the seven habits of successful kids, it, which is really almost cultish in a lot of ways. Right. It's really kind of disturbing. So you get a lot of comments on the report <laughs> card. You know, so-and-so is uh, very proactive at, at showing leadership. He proactively leads the students. It's very proactive how he leads his class. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just these same words that keep appearing over and over again, and it's kind of like this doesn't mean anything to me. I'm not, I'm not really understanding how well my kid's doing in school. Does my kid know this stuff or not? 
That's what I need to know. And if, and if he doesn't, then let's figure out why he doesn't, what it is he doesn't know, and how we can try to fix that. So I, I think report cards are already kind of missing the mark. This just exacerbates the problem. Okay, so then let me ask you this question, because this gets to why I absolutely hate report cards, fake or not fake, and why I think that maybe uh, there's, there's a place for the fake report card, but it's not just to cure the self-esteem woes of your precious little child. But this is this is what I think, Rob. Um, is the report card more for mom and dad, or is it more for the kid? And does the report card help you um, give your kid some direction in terms of what he might be interested in or she might be interested in? I, I think so. I, I think it, you know, it shows where where the kids' strengths are, and you know, I, and I, I think, but I think kids know that, right? I mean, for my daughter who's in middle school. She'll be going into to grade nine, and she gets grades still, and and she likes that. To her, you know, she wants to get the honors with distinction, and you know, we we can see her marks on a regular basis, and you know, you you close to that, you might still get honors. That's okay, but you're really close to that line. But no, she wants to get honors with distinction. So okay, well, you know, if you pull up that grade a bit, so and and it matters to her, and and so that that's motivation. Right. And so if the, for her to see what the grade actually is, is motivation to say, well, no, I, I, that's not where I want it to be. I want it to be there. And I, I so I think that motivation is good for kids. Maybe not all kids. But I think for a lot of kids. For me, the, that whole system was basically and, and it became kind of uh, uh, curious to me when I got to junior high. and We started to have an honor roll. Right. And I hate the honor roll, too. The honor roll to me is like one of the most uh, uh, useless things that you can have in a school. But uh, hear me out here. So you get to this point where you enter grade seven, as I did, and all of a sudden they say, okay, these are the four courses that you're going to take here yeah. that matter to us. And it was determined long before you were born that these are the four. And then everything else is completely inconsequential as far as you're concerned. But you've got to pick a couple of them. Now, if you excel at these four, we're going to put your picture on the wall as the collection of students that make our school proud. The rest of you don't do that. <laughs> and if you don't excel at these four, but you are amazing at all the other ones, once a year we might have just this sort of cursory performance or art show or band performance or something like that. So that you guys can have your moment, too. You suck at math. You can blow a clarity at, we'll have a good day for you guys, right? And so this report card sort of becomes this thing that lets you know if your school is proud of you or not. It should be this thing that, that is how you build your ticket to what you want to do with the rest of your life. So the fake report card might be this off-ramp on the Grand Highway expressway of insecurity that we create for so many students. And I think that it serves a function there if you could call the school up and go, I want a fake report card that tells my kid that his dream of becoming an auto mechanic is okay. Give me that fake report card. Right. But I don't want the fake report card that says, actually, you don't suck at math because you do suck at math. But if you want to be a mechanic, that's fine. Got a lot of texts coming in here. Uh, seven seventy seven seventy. This one says, can I send my fake report card to Harvard admission? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, we can get some more. Why don't we get a call in here before we go to a break? Sure. We'll keep the phone calls going on this. Well, let's start with Dennis. Dennis, get it hey, going good for morning, us. Hey, morning, Rob. How you doing? Not bad. Excellent. You too, Roger. Hey, thanks, pal. What's up? What's on your mind, Dennis? Uh, I cannot believe this. It's like if you own a business and you have all these young people going through school who have been raised with their sunny aptitude and they've been told how well they're doing, then you give them a real-world job. And they go, well, nobody's ever told me I didn't do this well. Say, 
well, not only didn't you do it well, you don't even know how to do it. <laughs> right. And then they go, well, nobody's ever talked to me like that. Like, give me a break. I, I, we're, we're raising a whole generation. I can tell you right now, I'm glad I'm retiring soon. Yeah, but you know what? I'll, I'll counter with this, Dennis, and, and let's have a little chat here because I dig what you're saying and I believe it to be true. But I also think that there's a lot of lazy old people out there who also failed out of school and, and you know, they're, they're part of, uh, they're guilty of the same thing that we like to blame millennials for being, you know, these people who don't want to work or uh, uh, they don't want to achieve and all that, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's unique to this current generation that we're raising. But, but I'll say this. I mean, there's plenty of uh, examples of people who dropped out of or didn't even bother with university or college and they they became uh, millionaires and billionaires and, and world-changing entrepreneurs and stuff like that. And then we've also got, uh, you know, a lot of people. We, we stereotype these young guys in Alberta who dropped out of high school to take oil rig jobs. And, oh, lo and behold, now they're 200 grand in debt and uh, the truck's being repoed. But we never talk about the uh, 17-year-old or 18-year-old that dropped out of high school to take that same job that actually is really good with his money and has got a family now and, you know, two kids. And, uh, yeah, he's been laid off maybe, but he's got enough in savings to take care of himself during this economic downturn. Why is it that the report card says you're either a failure or you're a great success without actually asking you what you want to do with your life? Well, you know, as, as an employer, a millennial, whatever you want to call it, um, there's all kinds of people that I know that are in my age group and not one of them. And maybe it's who you, who you end up, um, you know, dealing with, partnering with, whatever, but none of them are lazy. None of them... A lot of them didn't go to college. They just work hard. Yeah. Well, Dennis, thanks for the call. We're going to take a break here. Okay. We'll get to some more phone Good. calls uh, after a break. You're listening to Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Do you think that getting a fake report card for your kid is a good idea or a bad idea? We'll be back after this. All right. Welcome back. It is Kincaid and Breckenridge. Uh, that would be me, Rob, and uh, that guy over there, Roger. Hi. Uh, two names that have been on many report cards over the years. <laughs> At least four per year that I can <laughs> That's recall. Right. Uh, but a lot of reaction coming in on this this report card thing. So the the, the idea is at this uh, school in New York, and a lot of people have been writing about this and talking about this because it speaks to some big issues. But basically, you know, the parents get the real scoop on what's going on. And then the parents have the option of getting a, a fake report card that they can show to the kids and say, wow, look at that. You got all straight A's. Terrific. Good job. But, then, but the parent and the teacher, they both know the truth. And the truth is that the kid didn't get straight A's. The kid's struggling. But at least the kid will feel good. Does, it, does that make any sense? 974-8255. We want to hear from you on this matter. A lot of you text in 770-770. This one texts, when is society going to get a grip on itself? No wonder we have politicians saying that budgets will balance themselves, that we can go uh, $90 billion in debt. If we keep this attitude up, then we can't hurt anyone's feelings. There will come a time when we have poorly trained doctors, for example, because of the quality of applicants into medicine. Johnny has to know that if he's protected from stuff like this, he'd better plan on living with his parents for the rest of his life. I, I, I appreciate the sentiment of this particular text message, but I completely disagree with it. And for two reasons. One, there's a standard to practice medicine. Just like there's a standard to practice law in the country. Now, you could argue that that standard could be diminished, uh, as this person says, because of the quality of applicants. I would argue that we will always have people who are wise enough and intelligent enough to be doctors that can meet the current standard. Um, however, I will also say this, that we, we it's trendy to paint millennials as this kind of slacker group, 
And while you might see a lot of slackers in the millennial group, slackers have been in every group. And you know what's happened is the people that want to work and want to work hard, they excel and they prosper. There's there's business successes in absolutely every generation, this one included. There's people half my age that have achieved more than I have. And I hustle. What, you know, and what I'd be curious about then, if you're the parent and, and you want to have the kid think that the kid's doing great, but you know that the kid's not, how do you explain to the kid then that the kid needs to try harder? The kid's looking at the fake report card. And he's like, wow, I'm, I'm killing it. <laughs> and mom or dad comes along and says, well, you know, you, you really need to be trying harder in, in math and, and social studies. Well, what do you mean? I'm, I'm, I'm doing awesome. Why, why are you picking up math and social? Because I got I got an A in every class. I'm 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 doing great. I'm crushing it. Why do I need to try harder? What are you talking about? I don't know how you explain that to the kid. If you're going to tell the kid that the kid needs to try harder, I think you need to show the kid why. Say, so, well, here's what your grade actually is, <laughs> and here's why you need to try harder. Jody has called in. Hi, Jody. Hi, you guys. There are so many things wrong with this model. So I never had children, but. You know, children are people, too. And I have people in my life, and I really value when my friends and family are honest with me, even if it's, you know, they're pointing out something that is less than attractive, that you know, a behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important, like, as far as self-esteem goes, that children know that even if they do get a bad grade on their report card or make any kind of mistake in life, that that is their parents' love isn't conditional on those kinds of things. Um, I think kids can handle it. And also, you know, if a child is having a you know, a bad report card, it might not just be that the, that they don't understand or that they're not trying. Maybe they're being bullied. Maybe they're depressed. Maybe there's some mental health issues. Communication, it's just, it's vital. Yeah, no, that's a good point, Jody. Thanks very much for the phone call. And I think that's why the parents do get the legit report card. But, you know, I like what, what Jody says is that, you know, you got to be honest with your kids. And she, she talks about how she likes it when people uh, are honest with her, when people that she loves and respects are honest with her. Uh, but that's a two-way street, right? So if I brought home a, a crappy report card and I caught hell for it, this never happened in my family. It wasn't that kind of family. But I know kids who didn't get, you know, B's or higher and uh, all of a sudden got, you know, caught hell from mom or dad for it. But the honest response would be a kid going, I don't care about Shakespeare. Like, look at my math grade. I want to be a mathematician. I don't want to be a historian. That's why my social grade sucks. <laughs> right? Uh, let's go back to the phones. Who we got next? We got uh, Rod up next. Hey, hey Rod. How are you? Real good. Uh, yeah, I went back to school now at 55 in nursing. And, and I'll say one thing, you know, like a lot of those Millennials uh, basically saved my butt in class because I wasn't really great on the computer or anything. And and uh, what I find is it's a lot different. If you put that kid through, you know, through the high school thing, then he gets to college. Got a lot of these kids that have anxiety and suicide, everything else, because you kind of slid through. And now in college, like, you know, I mean, with the, uh, they have an APA where you, your writing standards and everything are a lot different. It's all different, uh, 
scenario nowadays just with the use of the internet you're talking about it like preparing kids for the real world that they're getting yeah. into and if you if you hide the real world from them yet yeah, you do a, you do a disservice to them that's probably entirely true hi gary how you doing i'm doing very well thank you excellent what's on your mind then i was educated in the 60s and we didn't lie to our kids they didn't lie to me it was straight up consequences and uh not a whole lot of this and I'm in favor of guidance counselors and stuff. Yeah. But I would I would never fake a, a report card to my kids. How would you? This is the angle I'm coming at with the fake report card, and and I agree. I don't think you should hide the reality from your children to save their self esteem. But if the school's offering this as an option, and I want to take advantage of it because so I can get my money's worth. Then, I, like I said a little while ago, give me the report card that I can give to my son that tells him that the things he's interested in and excelling at are A-OK and he should pursue those routes. If he wants to be like a, a, a stonemason or a gardener, give me the report card that says, hey, look, you've got an aptitude for this. You should pursue it. Well, I think that would be the real report card, would it not? Well, I mean, that, but I think the report card that says, hey, you know, you're, you're dumber than the average bear at math. That's discouraging to a kid who basically says, well, I'm always going to be dumber than the average Barrett math. Why is that hanging over my head when all I want to do is fix IndyCar engines? Well, well I think that speaks <laughs> to how you allocate the kid, which classrooms they, which classes they attend, etc. Once you've done the analysis and you figure, okay, he's never going to be a mathematician, let's get him out of that class, right. get him into stonemason's class. In other words, faking a report card that tells him he's doing great at math and he never, ever wants to do it, that's not going to help him. That's nah, a good call, Gary. Thanks for phoning in. Thanks, Roger. <laughs> Bye-bye. You know, you, you could do it the other way, right? I mean, if uh, your kid's doing well, but you think your kid could do a little bit better, maybe you could ask for the fake report card. Uh, could you give my kid a report card that says that my kid's doing terrible? <laughs> I don't want my kid to know the truth that uh, he's doing really well. <laughs> he needs to be taken down a peg. He's got to be a chip uh, on shoulder. You know, I, I want to get that that ninety six up to a ninety nine. So I, I want to see a little bit more effort from the kid. And I think you know, if you give him a report card that says he's at about a, you know, he's barely passing, I, I bet he'll he'll double down and uh, we'll, we'll close that gap pretty quick. I wonder if the school would would go for that. The uh, uh, thanks for all the uh, emails, by the way. Uh, giving us kudos for sticking up for those millennials who hustle. It's true. There's a lot of them out there. And this might be a question for another day, Rob, but I think it kind of uh, branches off the trunk we're talking about here. But um, when you're in high school, is it the case in high school now where, like, kids who are kind of driven towards trades are the dummies? You know, they're looked at as, the, as, the, as like, the ones who flunk out of the mainstream of academia. Do you know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. like that's the partition between honor roll and other that I, I was kind of talking about. One of the reasons that I hated it so much. You're good at four things, great. But if you want to be a carpenter, that's totally irrelevant. Well, you know, and certainly what we've seen in Alberta over the last 20 years. I know there's a lot of guys I went to high school with who certainly didn't stand out at the time as as uh, academic achievers or anything close to it, uh, who ended up doing pretty well for themselves in in a province like Alberta. I mean, that's something else to consider. Hey, thanks for all your phone calls and texts on that one. We're going to talk to uh, White, Pat Whitey Stapleton. When we come back, we'll get to the bottom of the Whitey nickname and find out if he has one of the greatest pieces of Canadian sports memorabilia in his possession. You're listening to Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Conversation Station. Hi, welcome back. It's Roger and Rob, Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. We're going to talk about gravitational waves after 12 o'clock, which is apparently a... Uh, Really big deal. 
Certainly physicists are, are agog today, but uh, we'll, we'll try to translate that into why, why the rest of us should be. Physicists are a what? They are agog. All of them? One uh, gog? <laughs> yes. They need to know this, and I don't think they'll be happy. Oh, I'm just fighting the words. All right, but uh, look, we, we, we want to talk about this. This is pretty cool. I mean, 1972, Canada, Russia, or Canada, Soviet Union, technically, of course, it still looms large in our national psyche. It was a, a huge moment for this country. I mean, it speaks to what was going on at the time, uh, the, the global order and the Cold War, but of course, you know, it speaks to our, our affinity for the game of hockey. So it was quite an event. Yeah, no doubt. Um, this still sends shivers, I think, up the Canadian spine. And we'll play it, and then we'll get to our, our guest. We're pleased to be joined by, by a member of that team. But, I mean, this is, like, probably the most iconic audio, perhaps, in the history of our country. A wild stab for fell. Here's another shot. Right by the score! Anderson! All right, I've got an embarrassing Paul Henderson story that I can tell you. By the way, that, that was Foster Hewitt, of That's course. Right. So they brought out a retirement to do that because it was such a big deal. It was 44 years ago. And, and the reason we're talking about this, by the way, is they just announced this week uh, that, that the, the members of the team are going to come back together for a tour. They're going to go to those four cities, Montreal, Winnipeg, Vancouver, and Toronto, in September, relive all of this, share these stories. And, and so they just announced it this week, and uh, it's going to be big. They're getting the team back together. Pat Stapleton joins us on the uh, on the air right now. Uh, Whitey, as it were. Uh, Pat, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's, uh, it's our pleasure entirely, sir, I think. Uh, we don't often get to talk to Canadian sports uh, legends, but uh, lo and behold, we've got one with us right now. Um, tell us uh, about this tour. I mean, wh- why is it coming together this year? Well, I, I think it's it's a little deeper than the tour. Our, our guys, uh, the, the players, have met on a uh, over a sporadic time. You know, we have a golf tournament and and talk about it and stay together. And we thought, uh, how do we give back to Canadians uh, because of our notoriety? I mean, you know, the team was voted team of the century. Uh, we, we've been inducted into Canada Sports Hall of Fame, which is part of Calgary, and and had a tremendous relationship. Uh, with Mario and his team at at the hall, and how do we give back? So we kind of come up with an idea that we would talk about the 28,800 seconds, and that's what the legacy would be built on, which is the power of teamwork. So we're back together as a corporation. We have 37 shareholders, um, the two of the coaches and 35 players, and some of the deceased members' families are actually shareholders in the company. So we formed a board of directors, and uh, uh, the board consists of Harry Sinden, Serge Savard, uh, Phil Esposito, Ken Dryden, um, Brad Park, and John Ferguson, Jr., who his mandate is to make sure that this story continues. And we have some initiatives, which one is the entertainment initiative, uh, which is part of the tour, and the other is an educational component, which will uh, you'll see in your school systems talking about a number of um, uh, profiles that took place. I mean, it was political, it was uh, the training models. Um, the Niagara Catholic School Board, under the direction of uh, Dr. Barry Wright, who's the dean of the business, Goodman School of Business at Brock University, has sort of headed this up from that side. So that's kind of where we're at. We're, we're back together, and, and we want to give back to Canadians, being the story and 
the, the all of the things that happened in those 28,800 seconds. So. I like how you're talking about giving back to Canadians, and I know what you mean, but yeah, giving more to Canadians might well, be another way to put it. But, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, it, sure. it started out um, when we had our inaugural meeting. Harry Sinden had kind of come up with the idea that, you know, we go to banquets, and uh, it was a banquet. There was uh, 450 people there, and uh, he said, look, guys, you know, we can get up and speak, but it's pretty dry. Why don't we give people an insight into the dressing room and start with game one and talk about it? And, and that's what took place. It went on and on. And, and people would have sat there all night listening to those stories. And as many of us have said, each player experienced something different in that 28-8, whether it, you know, it meant the time that we spent in Sweden coming together. I mean, I'm not sure that Harry's ever, or John Ferguson, have ever got the credit for bringing 10 different NHL cultures to together in a very short time. Our first four games, I would say we were not a team because we were individuals from that team, and we stayed together. There wasn't a lot of love loss between certain teams and certain players. Really? So you can imagine uh, trying to bring this together. And they, they did a masterful job of doing it. And I think that's part of what we talk about. The other part is really interesting because – the, when you have 35 players, only 20 can play. So how do you keep everybody engaged? And the point was that in practice, the intensity level went up so high because everyone, everybody wanted to play. And no athlete likes to sit on the sidelines, but they were totally engulfed in what was going on because of their standing by the bench. And we were laughing about it the other night where we look over in the eighth game and who's standing behind the Soviet bench singing the national anthem, Canadian national anthem, but Frank Mahovic. <laughs> uh, how often are you going to see that? But, but that's the involvement, and I think people have to understand, when you have a team, how do you become a team player? How do you get team smarts? And that's what it's about. We got to ask you this question. It was funny. We had a guest on earlier this morning. He was an economist at Western University. And he said, "Oh my God, you guys are be talking to Pat Stapleton. He's a local legend. My dad uh, taught his kids." But he said, "You got to ask him because the rumor is that Pat Staples, uh, Stapleton still has the winning puck from that that final game. Is uh, is there any truth to that?" Well, you know, there's always truth to rumors, right? <laughs> whether smoke or fire. <laughs> and you know, that's an interesting story because. The the game, uh, you know, the deciding goal was scored with 34 seconds left. And for the last, I mean, Bill White and I were on the ice as a defense pair. And, uh, you know, for the last minute and a half or whatever it was. And then we were going for the last 34 seconds. And once we got the lead, I, I thought to myself, damn, this would be a good time to sit on the bench and watch this, right? <laughs> but anyhow, Harry selected Bill and I to, to play the last 34 seconds. And... Harry, I can remember him saying, whatever you do, don't allow any three-on-twos. Well, didn't it happen right off the bat? And then somehow we ended up with the puck I did in the last 10 seconds, and I kind of just went around behind the net and uh, went to shoot it down the ice after the, the game was uh, come to a conclusion. And I don't know why I ever picked it up and put it in my glove. But I'll tell you, you know, part of it is uh, understanding. I thought, well, damn it, if we take their puck home, Maybe they'll never play again, right? <laughs> so it's still that mystery of 
where that puck is. And it's interesting how people gravitate to that puck. And why I picked it up, I have no idea. Why it's still hanging around, I have no idea. But there's there's stories to be told. I mean, we go to schools and talk to kids, and, and they rate stories on the puck and where it's been. And wow. I think it's kind of fascinating that this little puck, and I'll show it to people, all right? And they say, that's not the puck. I said, okay, that's not the puck. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a national treasure. Hey, Pat, um, we got to just take a quick commercial break. Can you sure. just stand by? We'll let that story sink in, and we'll have more with uh, Pat Stapleton. Uh, 44 years ago, I guess, this September, would be the, the Summit Series, where Canada beat uh, the Soviet Union in a best of eight, which is still a head scratch. <laughs> but we'll come back back with more uh, with more stories from Pat Stapleton on News Talk 770. All right, I'm Roger. That's Rob. A couple of hockey fans, particularly when it comes to teams that wear Maple Leafs on their shirts that aren't from uh, Toronto. Uh, Pat Stapleton joins us on, on the air right now. Uh, defenseman uh, in the Summit Series, 1972, legendary Chicago Blackhawk. Uh, Sarnia Imperial as well, right, Pat? I, I was, actually, it was Legionnaires. I played the Junior B in Sarnia for three or four years, and it was Sarnia Legionnaires. All right, I'll tell my dad the, that the one. The Imperials <laughs> are the football side. Which ah. is which is historic, right? They had they actually won the Grey Cup one year. So football was very strong uh, when I was growing up, uh, and that that was part of our ritual is going to the Imperial Games. All right. Well, t- tell me this because I mean you're talking to a couple of guys that weren't alive in in, the, in '72. Um, I think I got my first taste of this international hockey. Uh, when I was, you know, in the room, a little too young to understand what was going on in that amazing Canada Cup, uh, where, you know, with uh, yep. Gretzky, Lemieux, and, yep. and uh, the Howard Chuck hook that nobody saw. Anyway, uh, and then to me, my Summit Series is probably the Salt Lake City Olympics. So, yep. and, and I think that those events had so much gravity because of the original Summit Series. But, but how much gravity did that event have for a guy like you? And, and, and could you feel that kind of reverberating around the country in 1972? Oh yes, not well. You know, we didn't get the same feel as the Canadians did until we come back. Uh, you know, you you are in your own little world when you're playing and you're pretty focused, and you were dealing with all of the adversity that you have when you first go to a country, and and the country was pretty military, and you see a lot of guns and a lot of people carrying guns, which wasn't normal to a kid growing up in Sarnia, right? So um, that part become. Uh, uh, a monstrous part of our, our overcoming all of this adversity as a team, and I, I think there's there's many lessons to be learned there. And when you do, when you play on a team, and uh, like just like Roger and Rob, is that on a team? You bet. Huh? I'm trying. You bet. We're, we're <laughs> defeating the Soviets every every day. <laughs> well, two people with the same goal. Yeah. If you hold up your index finger, and I ask kids, "What do you see?" and they say, "I see two fingers." No. Two people with the same purpose is the power of 11, isn't it? Well, yeah. Well, you were, of course, uh, on on another team at the time as well, the Chicago Blackhawks. And up until that summer, there was a guy who had been on your team, a guy by the name of of Bobby Hall, who, of course, uh, didn't play for for Team Canada. Uh, And people still wonder about that. And, And why wasn't he on the team? Well, what did you make of it at the time? Well, you know, I mean, we the players had no say in that, okay? You you were invited, and I can remember when I was personally invited, Harry called uh, myself, and I had played for Harry in the EPHL, his first coaching experience, and said, you know, if you'd like to go on this vacation, all right, 
you're allowed to take your wife. I thought, wow, that's kind of neat because we had never had that experience before. So um, it was a vacation, all right. <laughs> but half uh, when we were in Moscow, I remember telling Harry, and I think he wrote it in his book. Uh, one of the books, if you want to get the real feel for it, is Harry Sinden's Showdown of Hockey, or Hockey Showdown, I think it's called. It, it's pretty raw. But um, I, I was kidding him. I said, you know, Harry, this is a vacation, is it? And I'm going to take tonight off, okay? It didn't happen, but uh, just that's the kind of camaraderie you get when you are part of a team. And it's, it's all teamwork. I mean, if you get those kind of skills, uh, I think the Marion is – his group at the the hall have identified 26 or 28 values uh, of being on a team. And that's part of what our educational program will give back to, to young people. Sure. T- tell me, though, Pat, about that moment, though, when, when the team is a team. I mean, Canada got smoked in game one. And I, I read this story about Ken Dryden talking about, you know, in 1972, he's looking out his hotel, uh, hotel room window and like, there's no sports radio. There's no 24 hour day <laughs> sports TV, right? And it was just basically, he felt like, hey, as long as I don't leave this hotel room, last night never happened. That's right. But then as soon as he leaves the hotel room, he's the goalie that led in seven goals in the Soviets beat him on Canadian soil last night. So when did it happen? When did it come together? Was it in the locker room before game two, or was it on the plane to uh, to the Soviet Union? Well, uh, no. The interesting part of the plane, we went in two groups. Half of us went on one plane to Frankfurt, Germany, then to Stockholm, and the other half, I believe, went to Paris, France. So it really, I think we started to come together. We had 10 days in Sweden and played two exhibition games. And that's when, you know, you travel on the bus, you eat together, you know, you go out together. Um, it was uh, not easy because it was four hours a day. It was like a real training camp. And, but that's when you get to know guys that you, you had battled against uh, for the previous 10 or 12 years, whatever it was, and you start to say, well, this guy isn't such a bad guy after all. You know, when you sit around and, and maybe have a, a beverage or whatever it is you do, and that's when we become team. Because I remember sitting out in the front of the Grand Hotel on a beautiful sunny day, and uh, Gila Point's wife had just had a child, and uh, they sat out there and they had this refreshment can and a bottle, and, and away we went. And that's part of the building of the teamwork, right? You, you appreciate who you're playing with, you respect them, and you start to trust them. The trust is a big part of any team, that you can trust them. When it gets tough, he's got your back. Well, I mean, Phil Esposito is a great example. I mean, uh, you're playing against him, uh, playing against him. Now, all of a sudden, you're on the team. And then, of course, that iconic moment where Phil Esposito is being interviewed, and, and he stands up. He goes to bat for the team. Yes. How much impact did that have on you guys? You know, I never heard that speech till 10 years later. Oh, wow. Really? Is that no, right? No, no. It, it, um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because it's not so much what they say in the dressing room because there wasn't a lot of chatter in the dressing room. It was just, okay, we got this next shift, let's go to it. And, you know, even when we got down to the final eighth game, which, again, is not normal because it's usually a seven-game series, right? So. Yeah. Uh, somebody looked after us by providing eight games. We're down uh, 5-3 going in the third period. And all I, that resonates in my head was who's got the next shot? You know, it was about who had the next shot. And uh, lo and behold, Cornway come through again, right? And then Phil founded one. And then Paul had the, the what everybody remembers as the one second. But it was really the other uh, 27,000, what is it, nine or 800 and <laughs> 
799 seconds that built the team. And still to this day, there's still that camaraderie. So. Do you guys still call each other from time to time? Do you guys get oh, together oh, yeah, for we beers? Get together. Yeah, yeah, we do. And, uh, you know, it's great when you get back because they get kibitzing again and start horsing again. That's yeah. what toy team play is all about, right? And uh, But they knew they had a purpose. Uh, we represented Canada, and we were all proud to wear the jersey. And uh, that was the first time, as somebody said, that the uh, international hockey uh, players were allowed from the professional ranks, right? Yeah. I mean, they were professionals in every mm-hmm. manner. You, you, there's no way around it. I mean, they were pretty well-oiled machine. I mean, they come over those boards five at a time, five at a time. The thing in the end, if I was to say, you know, why were we successful? And I mean, there was mental toughness, no question. But they become very predictable. They didn't change their style. Wow. They, 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 you started to know it was almost laid out for them, like patterns, and they started to adjust to that. And uh, I think in the end, uh, they were very predictable. And um, so, as history writes it, I mean, it comes down to 34 seconds. So. <laughs> You know, That's I mean, the way it should have been written, I guess. It's a Hollywood movie, so. Yeah, it was, it was a lot closer than Canadians wanted it to be, but maybe a lot closer than Canadians thought it would be. You know, Canadians didn't know the, the Soviets much, much about how, how good they were at hockey, but, so what did you guys think going into it? Well, I, I think just like most fans, you know, you listen to what's being written or said and say, well, you know, we're going to participate in eight games, and, uh, you know, it looks like, uh, you know, you can take it easy on them if you analyze the team, there was 15 guys that 16 or 18 guys had a lot of experience and 15 had no experience in the NHL. So to me, sitting back saying, well, the older, more experienced guys would uh, finish them off early and then we'd put the kids to the test. Never quite got to that, right? <laughs> in the end, the test was with the guys who had the experience. So, But the other ones stood right there and they practiced hard, like they practiced hard. I mean, the intensity level was very, very high in practice. And I still maintain that was the difference maker, having that support with you. And seeing them cheer as loud as everybody else. I mean, they all stuck together. So. Wow. In, in those close games in the uh, in Soviet Union, Pat, did they ever pull the goalie in the final two minutes? You know, I, that's a good question. I don't know whether I could even remember that. I, I'm not sure they did. No, I'm really not sure. I don't think they did. I think the Soviets had this thing about like not opening the net, so they right, they sacrificed right. the extra attacker in a one goal game. No, yeah. that's good. No, I, no, that's a good question. So, um, <laughs> again, you you stick to the knitting and do your job, and as long as you're exactly. doing your job, somebody else is pretty comfortable beside you, and and that's what happened. They really come together. I, I would say, you know. Um, um, Vince Lombardi had a saying, you know, about um, individual commitment to a group effort. And I think that's it in spades. It was individual skill commitment to a group effort. That They played off one another. You learned how to play off one another. And that that's what happened. So, uh, Pat Stapleton, thank you so much for this chat today. It's been amazing. Roger and Rob, it's been a pleasure. Anytime. And listen, if you want to get into the insides of the goaltending, I mean, I just sat with Ken Dryden. He has a whole new perspective on it. When we were discussing about our educational component, he said, the day of the eighth game, I woke up thinking, 
I'm going to be the most loved guy or the most hated guy in Canada. <laughs> That's right. Well, by the way, people can find out more at teamcanada1972.ca. That's uh, The website there, right, and, and more details on the tour, and it's going to be tremendous. It's going to be fun. It's, it's always fun to get back with the Canadian people and respond to, to them and what they want to know about it, right? Well, that, absolutely. That's the key. Well, we'll, that's have, the key. we'll have you on again sometime, I hope, Pat. Thanks so much. I hope. Uh, thanks, guys. All right. Take have care. a good one. Bye-bye. Wow. That was uh... – I would, yeah, I would pay good dollars just to go watch those guys get together for the yeah, year. Yeah, I guess we didn't have much of a, an arena here in 72. No. <laughs> <laughs> Although they did play in Winnipeg, which is interesting. Anyway, Team Canada 1972.ca. So we got to take a break here. We're back with more right after this. Welcome back, King Kate and Breckenridge News Talk 770. Uh, I got a text here, and I bet a lot of people like, like Mark have these kinds of stories. Uh, Mark says, when I was in grade school, our teachers marched us in the gym to watch live TV twice. Once was when Apollo 12 landed on the moon. The second time, I was 13 years old to watch Canada beat the Russians. Our teachers did not want us to miss history. I still remember it very well. My dad took me to a luncheon where Paul Henderson was speaking, and I met Paul Henderson. Shook his hand. I got a picture of myself with Paul Henderson. And I remember asking my dad after, Dad, who is Paul Henderson? <laughs> well, it's a learning, yeah, it's a learning opportunity. Sure, you guys kind of wish I'd known going in. Oh, by the way, this guy scored yeah. the goal. <laughs> That's true. All right, listen, uh, a lot of excitement today about gravitational waves. Um, Huge scientific news are being told. So we'll try to understand what's significant about this finding and how it changes our understanding uh, of the universe. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge. This is News Talk 770.